So I want to talk this morning about dealing with how you're feeling. And yeah, I meant for that to rhyme. I don't usually name my sermons, but that's the name of this sermon, dealing with your feeling. So the other day, I was on the couch, and Mila and Justice, my two older kids, were playing on the floor, playing a game of some sort. And uh, I I thought it would be a good idea to to call my dad, talk to my dad. Um, We don't talk often enough. we just forget, you know, to call each other, I think. So I, I called my dad, and I'm talking to him. And as I'm talking to him, Justice and Milo are playing this game. And I don't know, Justice, my son, wasn't playing it the way Milo wanted him to play it. So she gets really upset. And so she gets upset, and she messes up the game. And what do you think that does? And then my son gets upset, and he f- freaks out. He loses it. Ah! Upset about the game, right? So now my daughter's emotions have triggered my son's emotions, and my son is freaking out at a volume level that makes it quite hard for me to be able to continue the conversation with my dad. So I have to go, Dad, I'm going to have to hang up and go deal with my son right now. So I hang up, which makes me angry (laughs) because I don't get to talk to my dad very often. So I go and I express my anger to my son, which makes him sad and more mad. And then my wife feels anger and frustration because I showed so much anger and just the whole house at this point has gotten crazy, right? I'm probably, my dad's probably sad, feeling some, some anger, maybe some, not anger, but sadness maybe too that our phone conversation was cut short. And, and we kind of hit this point where we're like, we need to all just, as a family, sit on the couch and we need to talk about our feelings right now because <laughs> there's a lot of feeling going on in this house, right? So we did. We all sat on the couch. Justice, why did you freak out? Well, Miley didn't play the game right. It made me mad. Okay, well, that's credible, but we don't need to act that way, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, Justice, um, or Milo, why did you get upset? Well, Justice wasn't playing the right game the right way. And okay, well, Daddy got upset too, so Daddy needs to apologize. And yeah, I, I, was, I was probably right to be upset, but I wasn't right to express it in that way. So on and so forth. And we all kind of sang kumbaya and everything was great, right? Here's the reality, okay? Uh, this is an example to show you that uh, feelings... And emotions are part of life. Whether you're a uh, one-year-old uh, or whether you're a 30-year-old or a 60-year-old or an 80-year-old, emotions and feelings, they just are something that we always deal with at every level, at every age. And so this sermon is really appropriate for every age in here. It's really it's something that we need to think about. And I didn't really know when I started writing this uh, kind of how the week was going to unfold, but I think a lot of feelings are happening in our culture right now. I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of different things. Some people are feeling angry. Some people are feeling lied to. Some people are feeling scared or afraid. Other people are feeling, um, you know, um, mad about not having toilet paper. <laughs> um, Lots of feelings going around right now. It's interesting if you guys watched, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago too, but if you watched the new movie about Mr. Rogers, has anybody seen that movie yet? Okay, uh, it's really good. Tom Hanks is in it and he plays Mr. Rogers. And the whole movie really is about the fact that Fred, Fred Rogers, one of his points, uh, one of his goals in his show was to help kids understand how to deal with their feelings. Because as a human being, you have feelings. You can't not have feelings, and, and you need to know how to deal with them. You need to know what to do with them when they come up, and the whole movie is really actually brilliant because it's actually about Mr. Rogers helping an adult figure out his feelings, and, and here's this guy who's, who's, who's his, his demeanor is very much geared towards children, but yet it's, he's exactly who this guy needed, this adult who seems to be very together, very successful. He actually needs Mr. Rogers to help him with his feelings, and by the end of the movie, he's really kind of learned how to, to work through it. It's really a brilliant a brilliant idea. Uh, but the reality is this, this, both kids and adults, we need help with navigating our feelings. Now, where did our feelings come from? 
as human beings. Why do we have feelings? Uh, the reason we have feelings is because God has feelings. Did you know that? God feels. Uh, we don't always think that way because we sort of just equate feelings with sin. We think, well, feelings are because of sin. Yeah, but feelings actually, before sin came into the world, feelings were part of God's nature. Here's some examples. God actually gets angry. Psalm 106.40 says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. He abhorred his inheritance. God feels affection. We see that in uh, many places, but John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we see God having affection for the world there. God feels compassion. Exodus 33.19, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God grieves. Genesis 6, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, in 6, verse 6, he says, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. God feels joy. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord our God is in the midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So we see God the Father actually has emotion, and because he has emotion, he's built and stitched that emotion into, did you get it? No way. You are amazing. Everybody clap for Hannah. Good job, Hannah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you get both of these. This is the grand prize. Okay. Did you get a bingo, too? Did you really get one? Come on up. This may be a little young for you. Give it up for Lexi. Oh, that was fast. I thought it was going to be like 20 minutes. Did you get one too, Zach? Give it up for Zach. Zach the man. All right, dude. Well done. Okay, well, that's that. I thought I was going to entertain him for at least 20 minutes and I think it was five minutes. Good job, guys. So God has feelings. Because God has feelings, he stitched those feelings into our DNA because we are made in the image of God. Everybody say Imago Dei. Okay, one more time, Imago Dei. It's Latin for in the image of God. We are created in the image of God because he's an emotional God. We are also emotional beings. So therefore, we can rule out the fact that emotion is somehow evil, okay? Emotion is not evil. It's something that actually was created with great intention within us. But if emotion is not evil, then why does emotion hurt? Why do feelings hurt? Why are feelings so painful sometimes? Okay, the answer to that is, is very simple and very complex, and it's the fall. It's sin, Okay, when sin entered the picture, there was a, a disconnect between what was meant to be um, and, and sort of a, an echo of what still is. So we're still emotional beings, but now it's tainted, it's broken by sin. And the reason that emotion hurts so much is because it's telling us that something is wrong. The reason I feel sad is because there's something broken about the world, and my sadness tells me that. It's kind of like, you ever get anything in the garbage disposal that's not supposed to be there? Oh, man, the other day, I don't know how it got in there, but there was some rocks in there. I think my kids were digging with a spoon and maybe even threw it in the, the sink or whatever, and there was rocks, and I'm, like, reaching my hand in there trying to pull these rocks because every time I'd flip it on, it was just like, oh, like rocks in the garbage disposal. Okay, your feelings are like rocks in the garbage disposal because sin has broken the world. And the way you're feeling and the reason you're feeling so much, this is why God feels grief himself because sin has broken the way things that were intended to be. Okay, so our feelings are in this state of brokenness. Sin not only hurts but our feelings, but it also distorts our feelings. It distorts our feelings. It makes us not able to trust our feelings. We're not sure if, if what we're feeling is actually right, if we should be feeling that way, or if we shouldn't. Like a compass, a compass is true unless you put it too close to another magnetic source, and then the compass starts to go crazy. So 
Without sin and without the fall, your feelings are true, but because of sin and because of the fall, our feelings are all over the place. We don't know when to trust him. We don't know when to listen to him. So what do we do with them? What do we do with our feelings? And that's really your question for today. How do we deal with our feelings? How do we deal with our emotions? The answer to this is not exactly uh, a method. It's a person. It's an example. Okay? Now, God the Father can't really be our example because he's not human. Okay? He's not human. So how does a human deal with feelings? Who is our example? Jesus' example. Jesus is our example. Why is he the example? He's the example because he is fully human. Yes, fully God too, but he's also fully human. And therefore, because he's fully human, he experienced the full range of human emotions. He experienced anger. He experienced frustration. He experienced sadness. He experienced loneliness. He experienced fear, anxiety, depression, all of the things that you and I experience as human beings. Jesus experienced that to the fullest. Now, maybe you're saying, well, I thought Jesus was without sin. I thought he was perfect. Ah, emotion is not sin. You understand that? Because God feels emotion, right? It's not sinful for you to have emotions, but emotions can lead to sin, okay? Emotions can lead to sin. So in order for us to understand what it should look like for us to live with our emotions, we need to look at Jesus's life. The reason Jesus's life is so important is like this. If I go to the park with, um, you know, with my, uh, my uh, two-year-old, is she still two? She's going to be three in like a couple weeks. Okay. Um, I go to the park with my two-year-old, and she's really little. And, she, you know, and we look at the big slide, and I say, sweetheart, go down the slide. She's like, nope, that's too big. That's too scary. And I say, you're fine. There's nothing. Now, I know that that slide is safe for her. I know she can go down. I know everything's going to be fine. But she's feeling emotions of fear in that moment. Now, there's no possible way I can relate to what she's feeling unless I could shrink myself down to become two feet nothing, and I could put myself into her perspective where I actually don't know that everything's going to be okay. And that, that slide looks like it's 30 feet tall and it feels like a monster. And I don't know if I'm going to be safe or not. That's the only way I could really relate with the emotion that she's feeling, right? It's oftentimes why we don't connect very well with our kids sometimes because we don't remember what it feels like to be two or three or four or five in the reality. So this is what Jesus did when he came to earth. He came into his humanity. He came in as a person so that he could experience what it feels like to be human. He experienced the full weight of the fall. He experienced what it's like to be afraid and experienced what it's like to not know exactly how everything's going to go down. And so for that reason, he is our example. And for that reason, he's the one that we have to look to to learn. Hebrews says that he became like his brothers in every way. It also says that he learned obedience. Isn't that interesting? He had to learn to obey. Now, uh, you could read that and go, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was sinless. Just because you're having to learn obedience doesn't mean you're being disobedient. Just like all of us, Jesus had to grow up and learn how to function as an adult and as a believer and as a follower of Yahweh, and he had to learn to trust the Father. He did that intentionally in order to be our example of how we deal with feelings as human beings. So here's what Jesus did. He did three things with his feelings, and we're going to see each of these in a few different references. So maybe jot them down, and this will be our outline. Here's the three things Jesus did with his emotions. First, and they're in sequence, okay? They're in order. First, he heard his feelings. He heard his feelings. He didn't shut them out. He didn't tune them out. He heard his feelings. Secondly, he questioned his feelings. He questioned his feelings. And thirdly, he used his feelings. I want you to remember those three things, especially this week. 
especially this week when feelings are coming, I want you to go through these three steps and I want you to remember how Christ took on his feelings. So let's look at each of these really quickly. First, number one, Jesus heard his feelings. You know, for many of us, our tendency is to suppress, particularly men, okay? Particularly men and particularly men that um, are getting more seasoned in life. Um, We're sort of tired of our emotions. So we learn to actually compartmentalize, shut them out. I don't want to feel anymore. This is our tendency uh, for many people. Now, there's lots of reasons why we do this. There's lots of reasons why we don't let our feelings come out. One is because they're really complex. Uh, like Like that big ball of Christmas lights that you pull out every year. You know, and you're like, wow, this is going to take me three hours to untangle. Um, we know that many of us know that our emotions are very complex. For that reason, sometimes we just want to go buy new Christmas lights <laughs> every year. Just go buy new Christmas lights. Forget the tangle, right? We tune them out because they can be overwhelming and painful to tune into. I remember, I'm going to show my nerd card here. Uh, I remember Star Trek Next Generation. There was a character on there called Data. Anybody? Anybody? Data? Okay. He's a robot. He has no emotions. Okay? And, and this, was, this was very strategic on the writer's part because um, their, their, their goal in this character was to sort of move him towards being an emotional robot. First, he had no emotions. He was kind of the Spock. You know, he was like Spock, but in the other, yeah, nerding out. Okay. Uh, but there, there, there comes a point uh, in one of the movies where uh, Data gets an emotion chip. And it's really funny because he's never experienced emotions before. So he gets the emotion chip, and first he really likes it. He can taste food, and he's like excited about these things. And then there comes a point in the movie where he's terrified, where he's terrified. He's never been terrified before. And all of a sudden, he's just overwhelmed. And he's like almost in tears. And he looks over to the other guy and says, you need to shut off my emotion chip. I can't handle these emotions. It's just too much. And it's really brilliant because all of us can relate with him. All of us can relate with that feeling of just feeling like I can't hold, I can't contain my emotion right now. It's too much. I need to just shut it off. And that's what a lot of us, unfortunately, learn how to do. We learn how to shut off our emotions. We don't listen to them anymore. We also know they can lead us astray. Many of us have done stupid things in the past because of our emotions. We made a, we made a drastic decision or something like that. So did Jesus suppress his feelings? Did Jesus suppress his feelings? If you have your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 19. This is, I think, one of the most fascinating passages about the emotion of Jesus. Um, asking the question again, did Jesus suppress his feelings? So Luke 19 And let me just read verse 41. So here's the scene, okay? Jesus um, has been ministering for three years. He's 33 years old. His entire life, his entire ministry has been moving gradually, slowly to this moment. He's about to enter into Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion. We're gonna celebrate this week here in a a few weeks, uh, Lord willing, Um, the, the, the entry into Jerusalem. And as he's coming into the city of Jerusalem, he comes over the hill, and there's a parade for him. There's people that are, um, this is before he comes through the gates. He's up on the hill um, above the Mount of Olives, and and he's just about to crest the hill. um, And as he's cresting the hill, look at verse 41. Here's what happens. And when he drew near, he saw the city, that's Jerusalem, and he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, would you... Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Okay, now pause right there. The word for wept there, the word for wept, there's two different kinds of words for wept uh, in the Greek. Uh, The first one is dakruo. It's to weep silently. It's sort of like you're just kind of, some tears are rolling. That's not this word. 
That's not this word. The word here is klaio, C, or pardon me, K-L-A-I-O. And it is literally translated to express uncontainable grief, audible grief, wailing. He's, he's literally bursting with emotion in this moment. He's bursting with emotion. And we have to ask the question, why is Jesus choosing this particular moment to allow this level of emotion to explode out of him? Okay, and I don't want to get too deep into this because this isn't my point. But if you flip back a page to Luke chapter 13, Jesus actually explains, I think, what he's feeling right here. Chapter 13, verse 34. Here's what he says about Jerusalem. He says, nevertheless, 33, pardon me, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from where? Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says with emphasis, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. This is what Jesus is feeling in this moment as he crests the hill and he sees Jerusalem knowing that in a matter of days they'll have him on a cross. He looks at the city that God made, the city that God called to be his city, called for his purposes with his temple where his people would meet with his presence and he knows that even though he's there to save them, they will reject him. And he breaks out in a vocal wailing. Isn't that interesting? Why is he wailing? He's wailing because he knows that they will reject him as their king. His city has rejected him. His city has rejected him. You know, many of us have experienced rejection, but rejection is even harder when you know that they will reject you and you still choose to love them anyways. Many of us are rejected. We didn't know we were gonna get rejected. Jesus was rejected knowing he would be rejected. In fact, he used and harnessed that rejection to save them from their own sin. So Jesus is greatly troubled in this. And my point is just simply this, is that Jesus allows himself to feel sadness. He's not data. He's not a robot. He's not on the hill looking at Jerusalem, knowing what's coming, and he goes, emotion is no, has no place here. That's not how Jesus acts in this moment. He allows emotion to well up in his soul. He allows this feeling to be heard. He allows it to come out. Now flip over to John chapter 11 for one other example. John chapter 11, you're probably more familiar with this one. 11 verse 35, here's another example of Jesus hearing his emotions, allowing his emotions to come. 11:38. this is the story you probably know about Jesus raising Lazarus, so he gets news that his friend has passed, has died. Um, he waits a few days and then he makes the journey uh, over to the town where they're at. And Mary and Martha are confused by this. They come to him, Lord, why didn't you come? You could have healed him. Jesus is sort of holding his cards close to his chest. They go to the tomb of Lazarus where there's people wailing um, as there would have been in that culture. People are, are mourning and Mary and Martha are just understandably incredibly emotional at this point. And Lazarus is the tomb and in verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved, note that word, deeply moved, again came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. And the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Am I in the right place here? Like you guys would know that. Sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Back up. 
35, yep, okay, let's go 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was, note this, deeply moved. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come see. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now we joke about that verse because it's the easiest one to memorize. But in reality, there is an amazingly amount of profundity packed into those two words. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, fully God yet fully man, wept. He wept, okay? And I want you to notice the two words right before this. When it says that he was greatly troubled, that doesn't mean that he was just a little disturbed, furrowed brow, feeling a little upset. No, those words literally mean angry. Jesus was angry at this scene. He was angry as he's watching his friends weep and and be so distraught and and frustrated by the, the results of sin and death. He's angry and he starts to weep. Jesus is allowing his emotion to come out in this moment. What is he angry at? He's angry at the fact that death has caused all of this pain and grief. That's why he came to the world. He came to the world to fix sin and death. And as he sees his friends having to deal with all of this pain, he begins to weep because he's a human being. He allows it. He allows it to come, and the gospel writers write it down for us. I'm so thankful for that. We could have thought of Jesus as this non-human, okay, robot person without emotions, but that's not how the New Testament portrays Jesus. He is a man that showed emotion. In fact, Isaiah 53 prophesied that Jesus would come as a man of what? Sorrows. I don't think Jesus was emo. I don't think he was depressed all the time, but I think that Jesus carried a burden that no one else could possibly imagine. I think of Lord of the Rings. Frodo is carrying a burden that no one else can possibly imagine. I think Jesus, all the time, in the back of his head, he knows what's coming. He knows why he came. He came to die. He came to go to the cross. He came to battle sin and death. And he carried that. And he did not say to himself, you know, it's not manly for me to show my emotion right now. Jesus, the ultimate man, allowed his emotion to come out at particular times. He wasn't ruled by it, he wasn't controlled by it, but he did allow it to come out. Here's my point, point number one. We need to hear our emotion because feelings can show us that something is not right. If we don't listen to our emotions, then we never know that something is not right. It's similar to symptoms in a cold, right? You know know what symptoms are? They're just your body telling you that something's going on. It's your body letting you know that it's fighting off something, okay? And those symptoms are how we know that something's wrong. We need to be thankful for our nervous system. If I hit my hand with a hammer and it it hurts, that's my body telling my brain, that's bad for you, stop it. Your emotions are telling you that something is wrong, okay? So we need to hear our emotions and if we become people that isolate or insulate ourselves from our emotions, we're no longer in touch with what's really going on. Okay, I know I'm talking about a lot of movies, uh, but here's one more. Uh, How many of you kiddos have seen Inside Out? Inside Out, how many of you adults have seen Inside Out? Okay, Chris, really? You've never seen Inside Out? Bro, you gotta go. You gotta go. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, homework. Okay. Inside out. I guess your kids are grown, but you need to watch it. Okay. Really a brilliant you've seen it, Hannah? Okay, it's a good one. So it's a brilliant movie. It's a Pixar movie, and it's all about feelings. Okay, and the premise of it is really interesting. This little girl, Riley, um, you get to see inside of her head, and each of the emotions, each of the feelings are sort of characters, right? And the whole movie um, is about them trying to keep her from getting sad. Okay, and so, so, so joy, her emotion joy ends up, um, you know, 
like ends up not being able to be there to give her joy. And then the whole movie is them trying to get her back to being happy. But the whole premise of the movie is that in order for her to be happy, she actually has to be sad first. It's really brilliant. It's really brilliant. In order for her to be happy, she actually has to be sad because true happiness doesn't necessarily come unless you first understand sadness. And it's through sadness that we actually understand true happiness and joy. So my point is just this. If you don't allow yourself to truly feel, you're never gonna know what's truly wrong. And Jesus, as a human, allowed himself to truly feel sadness in order to deal with what was truly wrong with the human condition. I find it interesting that in Revelation, what is Jesus doing? Wiping away our tears. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as though the sweetness of heaven and eternal dwelling with God is more sweet as we look back and realize what it was like without it. He allows the tears in order to allow the joy. And so we need to allow our emotions. But, point number two, we also need to question our feelings, question our emotions. Now, for the majority of us, especially millennials, Generation Z, we uh, don't struggle with not listening to our emotions, we struggle with only listening to our emotions, right? We have a generation, a culture that is feelings driven. And this is the other side of the coin, this is the other ditch that you can drive into and attempt to overcorrect. I literally think our culture is going so far from our parents and parents' generation that didn't seem to care about our feelings to now we're being hypersensitive to our feelings. In fact, our feelings have become God. Our feelings have become what we trust. Tell me if some of these phrases sound familiar. I don't feel excited about my marriage anymore, so I'm out. I don't feel fulfilled in my job anymore, so I'm out. I don't feel, well, I'm gonna skip that one. Not age appropriate. Um, I don't feel like, uh, maybe I could say it in a way that they don't understand. I don't feel like the gender I am, so I must not be that gender, okay? I don't feel like God is good or loving so therefore he must not exist. Well, that's logical. These are all feeling-driven things. We've become a culture that has swung so far from tuning our feelings out to over-tuning into our feelings. Now, why are we so prone to be feelings-driven? Well, because it's really hard to see anything else but your feelings when you're feeling them. When you're feeling fear, this is why they have to train people in the military to think without their feelings to do what they've been trained to do because once your feelings take control, it's really hard to see anything else other than what you're feeling. If you're feeling fear, all you can think about is escape, okay? And that's the reality. When feelings are ruling you, it's hard to see anything else. But the problem with feelings is they're subjective. It's amazing how many things I've felt in my life that I don't feel anymore. I used to want to live in the city. Now I kind of want to live in the country. I used to hate kombucha. Now I kind of like kombucha. Except when there's scoby floating around the bottom. I just, that's just so weird. The other day I had one and I, it was, I ate it and it was in my mouth. I just, it was gross. Okay. But regardless, okay, feelings change. Feelings are subjective. And if we're a culture that's completely ruled by our feelings, we're, we're setting ourselves up for problems. Okay. Our feelings need, cons- need constant filtering and examining by, listen, by ultimate reality. Okay. Your feelings, this might be a shock to you are not based on ultimate reality, okay? Because of sin. Your feelings are not, now God's feelings, God the Father, his feelings are based on ultimate reality because he is ultimate reality, okay? Your feelings are not. So we need to filter, screen our feelings. We need to question them. 
We need to feel them, but then we need to question them. We need to ask good questions about our feeling. A good soup needs to be strained, okay? My wife makes really good chicken soup, and the way she does that is she throws all this stuff in there, all these bones and all these vegetables and all this kind of stuff, and then every night before we go to bed, she says, hey, can you help me strain the soup? Because it's a big, heavy thing, and you gotta pour it into this strainer, right? So we do. We strain out all of the gunk, which was giving it good flavor. I shouldn't call it gunk, but you know, all this stuff you wouldn't really wanna eat, but it's giving it good flavor. This is what you need to do with your emotions. Your emotions need to be heard and then they need to be strained. They need to be filtered. They need to be questioned, okay? I want you to see this in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, Jesus does this. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't think of a better example than this right here. Luke 22, 39. Jesus is in the last moments leading up to his fake trial where he would be executed, murdered wrongly. And he's in the garden, he knows it's coming. And guess what he's dealing with? He's dealing with emotion. He's dealing with feeling, because he's a human, okay? So verse 39, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What's the cup? The cup is the wrath of God, the cross that's about to, to come on him. Okay, this, this, this fear that he knows something really hard is coming. He's about to endure the full wrath of God um, as well as the physical aspects of the cross. He says, if there's any way, Lord, if you're willing, remove this cup. In other words, God, I'm terrified of the cross is what he's saying. Now, Jesus wasn't a coward. He wasn't afraid of the nails. He wasn't afraid of the crown of thorns. He wasn't afraid of the beating. You know what he was afraid of? He was afraid of not only the wrath of God the Father being poured out on him, but he was afraid of the disconnect that was coming for the first time in eternity between him and the Father. It terrified him. So Jesus is feeling. He's feeling something here. But what does he do? He strains that feeling like a good soup, okay? He's gonna strain that feeling he says, nevertheless, he doesn't just stop there. If he had stopped there, we'd still all be in our sins. I don't feel like going to the cross, therefore it must be wrong for me to go to the cross. What if Jesus had said that? What if Jesus had said, my feelings are ultimate reality, and so therefore, that's not what he does. He strains his feelings, he sifts his feelings, and he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down the ground. You want to talk about emotion. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter temptation. So what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's allowing himself to feel. He's feeling fear. It's not sinful. He's feeling fear. But then he puts it up against the grid of the Father's will. Lord, not my will, but your will. And what he's doing in that moment is he's sifting out his emotions. He's questioning his emotions according to God's ultimate will. We need to do that. We have to do that. When you feel emotion, you need to stop and say, Father, is this really true? Is this the right way I should be feeling? Should I listen to that? I, I really think intentionally Luke here is trying to contrast, or contrast the goofy disciples who are snoozing. Why are they snoozing? Because they're feeling burdened. They're feeling burdened and they sleep. Jesus wakes them up and says, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
How do we strain? How do we sift? How do we question our feelings? Well, it certainly seems like prayer would be number one. Bringing it to the Lord, right? Going to God's word and saying, Lord, how do my emotions stack up to your ultimate will? I want to give, I want to give you some questions. I want you to write them down. Some questions about how to decide which feelings to tune into and which feelings to tune out of, okay? Number one, ask yourself this. Is this emotion I am feeling something shared by God? In other words, does God feel this too? You feel anger over the millions of babies that are dying because of abortions? God shares that anger. God shares that anger, okay? Um, asking yourself this question is, is basically like when you're on a boat and you feel seasickness. You know what causes seasickness? is you lose sight of reality. You lose sight of what flat is. You're just rocking back and forth. So what do they tell you to do when you're seasick? Look at the horizon. Look at the horizon. You find something that's not movable. You find something that's true. You find something that stays, and you lock your eyes on that, and it keeps you from feeling seasick. In the same way, your emotions will rule you unless you have something true to focus on. Unless you have something true to focus on. What are God's feelings? Are our feelings... Um, consistent with his feelings or are they just your own? Ask yourself this. Is this emotion I am feeling being informed by the gospel? And what I mean by that is, let's take the abortion example. Are you angry about abortion? Well, so is God. But how are you expressing that? How, how does the gospel inform how we should express that? Jesus died for the people having abortions. He died for them. So if you are just simply angry and yelling and screaming at people walking into those clinics, then you are not consistent with the gospel. The gospel has not informed your feelings. Your feelings should be informed by the gospel, the fact that Jesus loves these. Not only those that are being killed, but those that are doing the killing. Jesus loved those putting him on the cross. The gospel informed that emotion. Ask yourself this, is this emotion attached to something that happened in my past? This is huge. Why am I feeling this emotion? Is, it, is something triggering it? Something that happened in my past? That's something maybe I need to think about. Is this a deep, abiding feeling or is this just a whim? Most of us post most things on social media because of a whim. A moment where you go, ah, I'm just gonna type all this out and I'm gonna hit send. We're not talking about deep, long, abiding scriptural convictions. We're talking about I just feel this in a moment and I'm gonna blast somebody on social media because I feel this. You know, Jesus, uh, another example of him expressing his emotion, he took a whip and went into the temple and started flipping over tables and he literally dominated and took over the whole thing. But you know what's so interesting about that? It's not as though Jesus just walked in there one day and had an emotional moment and decided to pull out his whip, which he just carried on him all the time, no. He'd been in the temple every day. He grew up in the temple. He went to the temple every year. He spent many, many times. He saw the money changers. He saw the corruption. But he took the time to go and make a whip. It was a deep, abiding conviction that, that this temple was a corrupt, money-making scheme. And Jesus didn't just go off of his emotions at that moment. He was very measured in that sense. There's one more question to ask yourself. Is this emotion something so compelling that you can't possibly imagine stopping to pray about it? If it is, don't act on it, okay? If, you're, if this emotion you're feeling in that moment is so compelling that you have to say something and you have to deal with it and you can't stop and go to the Lord and say, Lord, is, and measure it and sift it and screen it, then that is not something you should act on, okay? And I'm so guilty of that. 
I'm so mad I have to say it right now. Don't say it. <laughs> You'll regret it. Okay? We have to strain it. Jesus was very careful to question his emotions, but he also felt them. Point number three, and we'll end with this. Not only do you need to hear your emotions, not only do you need to question your emotions, but thirdly, I would suggest that you need to use your emotions. You need to use them. Don't just sort them, use them. You know, fire, when it's harnessed, becomes really powerful. Look at a, uh, an engine. An engine is really just tiny little fires that are happening. A combustion engine, just causing the pistons to turn. I don't really know how all that works, but um, th- there's little mi- mini, tiny explosions, but it's harnessed. The steam engine was a harnessing of fire. You throw the coal, it causes steam. The steam um, pushes, it, it creates energy. So, so really, if you can take your passions and rather than let them rule you, sift them, you can use them as energy. And I really think that's what Jesus did. You ever seen the movie? And I'm doing so many movie examples. Uh, the movie, The Blind Side. You ever seen that movie? Okay, it's about this big kid. He's like seven foot tall. And he's like this homeless teenager. And he gets brought in by this family. And they put him on the football team. And he's just like a big softie. He like kind of just stands there. And he doesn't do anything. And they're trying, like, how do we harness this guy's massive size? Because he's, I think he, what was the football position he was in? I don't know. Uh, he, he's the guy that, that guards the quarterback. Okay, Anybody? We are not a sports church. Halfback? Okay. Um, anyways, so, so they're trying to get this guy aggressive. How do we get him aggressive? And then they found out that he had these protective instincts. His instincts were to protect. So, so, so the, the lady that took him in, she goes and she says, hey, I want you to pretend like that guy right there in front of you. I want you to pretend like he is someone trying to hurt me. Just pretend like that. So he did it in his head, and before you know it, he's just like the star football player. He's knocking guys out all over the place. What she did was he harnessed his emotions. She harnessed his emotions to do something good in that moment. And in the same way, we need to harness our emotions. So I want to give you some examples as we close of how Jesus harnessed his emotions in order to accomplish his mission. What about sadness? What about sadness? Let's take our three-step grid. What did Jesus do with his sadness? Well, first of all, he didn't ignore it, okay? Okay. He did not let his sadness crush or overwhelm him also. He didn't let his sadness keep him from accomplishing his mission. He questioned it. He took it to the Father in prayer. But then he harnessed it to become a compassionate high priest. Jesus actually used his sadness so that when you pray to him, you're praying to someone that actually understands your sadness. He used his sadness for good. And I would encourage you guys, don't waste your feelings. Don't waste your emotions. Question them, hear them, and then use them. If you're going through something hard, it may be that God wants you to use that hardness in order to actually help others. It may be that God wants you to feel something in order to actually motivate you to take action on something. Don't waste your emotions. Your emotions actually are your ally if you use them correctly. What about anger? Okay, we looked at that already, but Jesus didn't ignore his anger. He filtered out his unrighteous human anger but he directed it towards the right thing. He directed it towards putting himself on the cross. He directed it towards the way that he interacted with the religious uh, hypocrites. What about affection? Okay, Jesus didn't ignore his affection. He did not only love based on feelings either. If Jesus only loved based on feelings, I don't think he would have made it with the disciples. (laughs) Okay, he loved them based on more than just his feelings for them. He loved them based on more than that. But it also says that he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He harnessed his feelings. What about joy? I think joy, 
Okay, now follow me on this. I think joy is the most propelling emotion we could possibly imagine. More than anger, more than sadness, more than fear. I think joy, if you're looking for an emotion that will drive you to follow Christ fully, it's joy. And it's your own joy. I think God wants you to harness your desire to be happy. He wants you to harness it and realize and recognize that he put that desire in you. Jesus, just like us, had a desire for joy. And what was driving him to the cross was his desire for joy. It actually tells us that. Flip over there really quick. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll end here. Hebrews 12 says this. Verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy, who for the what? The joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was it that allowed Jesus to endure the cross? It was joy. It was the joy that was set before him. It was the joy that he knew he would have, okay? Despising the shame, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that Jesus was seeking after? Well, partly it was you guys. Partly it was the bride. But even more than that, it was the affection of the Father. It was knowing that he was submitted and fully trusting. It was the Father himself, his relationship with the Father. I would suggest this to you, that if you want to harness any feeling, harness your desire to be happy. But recognize that that desire is truly fulfilled only in the person of Christ. Everything else will leave you short. So, three steps. Hear your emotions question your emotions, use your emotions. I want you guys to think about that this week. Think about this every time you pull out your stupid phone and it tells you something else happened, something bad has happened. I want you to look at that and I want you to feel something. I want you to feel something. You know why you're feeling what you're feeling right now? Uncertainty, maybe a little bit of fear, maybe a little bit of frustration. Maybe you went to try to get toilet paper and you can't and now you're really mad. Okay, um, you know, wh whatever it is, those feelings are telling, you're trying to tell you something. You're trying to tell, I want you to tune into those feelings. And then I want you to question them. I want you to think, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And then I want you to take the feelings that are actually from the Lord, and I want you to harness those so that we actually see kingdom movement in the midst of these next three or four weeks. Like, I want to see kingdom movement. Like, like you should be upset, you should be upset by the fact that sin and death is causing this moment that we're in right now. You should be upset about that. But what do you get upset at? Certainly not each other. Certainly not our government. What do you get upset at? Where do you channel that? God's heart is that we as the church would step into his mind and his will in this moment, that we would step in as his hands and feet and do what he would have us to do in this moment. I think that's to care for our community. I think that's to care for those of us in our body. I think that's for us to, as I saw one thing said, put down our news and pick up our phone and call or somebody that we might know. Call somebody that's elderly. Call someone that's at risk. Can we go shopping for you? Can we help you? Is there something we can do for you? Let's channel those feelings and let's actually use them. Uh, let's inform them by the gospel. Let's love each other and help each other in this time. Let's take care of each other. And kids, I just want to remind you of something. Okay, your parents feel the same emotions you do. Okay, you guys are dealing with the same emotions. Parents, you deal with the same emotions your kids do. 
So let's help each other in this. Let's be the body even in our houses. So I don't know exactly what the next two or three weeks are going to look like in terms of church. We'll keep you guys posted. Um, but I just wanted to encourage you this week. I want to encourage you to, to sift your emotions and to say, Lord, what's your will in this? What, is, what's, 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 what, what do you have for us in this? There are opportunities. There's opportunities ahead of us in the next few weeks as Christians because we have a worldview that, know, that tells us what is happening right now. We understand where the hope is. We understand where the answers are. I'm just praying that God would open so many doors in the next few weeks for us as we walk through this together. And can I just remind you of something? Um, even if we're not able to meet over the next few weeks, we are a church family outside of just a gathering. We're a church family. Let's call each other. Let's check in on each other. Let's find ways. I'll be thinking of ways for us to be con communicating and connected. Um, let's prove that the church is not just a gathering. The church is a family. Okay? All right. Would you guys stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today that uh, regardless of what we feel, you are sovereign over all. We thank you so much, Lord, that we are in this moment. We thank you, Lord, that um, you don't waste anything. You take all the things that are hard and you use them for your glory. And of course, Lord, we do just pray over our city. We pray over our country, pray over this, this globe, this world that you love so much. Lord, we pray that you would heal, that you would protect. You would protect the vulnerable in our city right now. Protect the vulnerable in our church. God, we pray that we would tune in to what you're wanting to do with all this. Of course, we pray for healing, Lord, but we also pray that we would have our eyes open to see how there can be spiritual healing in the midst of this. Lord, help us to think of each other. Help us to love. Help us to be a stabilizing force in our community. Father, thank you for our feelings, even though they drive us crazy sometimes. I pray that we would harness them, that we would sift them, question them. Lord, give us the bravery to allow ourselves to feel sometimes. But Lord, may we bring everything to you in trust, Lord. God, I pray for our body right now, Lord, as we go. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.